Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Thank you for joining us at Revive the Drive. We've been talking about the Ten Commandments. This is Rich Burkle, and I'm here with Pastor Art and Pastor Daniel. And uh, this session, we're going to be discussing Commandments 7 and 8. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. So we're going to talk about what each of these commandments mean and then some of the practical implications for our daily life. Uh, We have set the uh, foundation that these commandments are given to us by God to help us and can be summed up in loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. Um, the, uh, The first table of the law has to do with loving God, and now we're into the second table law, which has to do with how do we express love toward one another. And uh, here we find that uh, God commands us not to commit adultery and not steal. So let's take this first one. Uh, of course, we live in a in a culture and age in which sexual morality is uh, rampant. It's it's hard to it would be hard to overstate how immersed in sexual morality uh, our culture has become. And the church, you know, statistics tell us, and even our experience with with people and counseling and whatnot uh, reveals that the church is not that far behind the culture in reference to the sin of sexual immorality. So let's discuss first what is what does this commandment mean, and then and then how uh, how do how would we apply it? What are some practical applications for us to consider? So the the instruction that's being given here is that uh, you are not to violate the the marriage covenant. Whenever a man and wife come together, we, we think of what uh, we read in uh, Genesis chapter two, where the man sees this creation and says, "This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." And, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And, and Paul in uh, Ephesians, as he talks about this this passage, tells us what it means. He says, uh, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. And throughout Scripture, we see uh, Jesus, Paul, uh, the Old Testament writers, as they talk about adultery and divorce, we see that this this relationship that God establishes between a man and a woman, and we believe that it's God himself who joins them together, is is a sacred union, and it's a violation of, of this, this commandment to do anything that violates that, that oneness of relationship, that one flesh relationship. Yes. Right. So um, this marriage covenant creates a one flesh relationship before God, and, and so to uh, betray Either your own or someone else's uh, is to separate what God, in in essence, attempt to separate what God has attempted to make a one flesh relationship, that strong bond. You're taking what should belong to only this other 
individual who is in covenant relationship with the one that you would be committing adultery with. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Uh, There in in Hebrews 13, uh, we find fornicators and adulterers lumped together and yet separated. So how, how what's what's the distinction between adultery and, and fornication and those two sins, and how do they relate to this commandment? Are both included in this commandment? Well, fornication would be that sexual uh, intimacy that is outside of marriage, apart from marriage. Um, so uh, two unmarried people having uh, sexual relations would be guilty of fornication, whereas um if it enters into a relationship that is a marriage relationship, then that is adultery. Yeah. You know, my observation would be that even in our secular culture, adultery, uh, cheating on a spouse whom you've made commitment to, mm-hmm. it's, is still considered dishonorable and wrong. But why do you suppose our culture would say that's wrong? It, it, I don't think it's for the same reason that uh, that God would say it's wrong. Why, why does our culture still look down upon adultery? Uh, in other words, cheating on a spouse, and yet really uh, celebrate fornication. I think it's because of the betrayal aspect of the relationship. There's a betrayal by one or the other and by the one who is inserting themselves into the relationship. There's not a there's not a God whose standards we violate. The only standards we can violate are the standards of other people, and so morality is determined by what harms or doesn't harm another person. And so there's a recognition that adultery harms another person, therefore I don't have the right to do it. But if fornication doesn't harm another person, there's no higher standard than myself or the people by which I'm judged. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right, too. Um, the other passage that I was thinking about in reference to this uh, commandment from the New Testament doesn't have to do with uh, marriage and, and that this commandment is... is uh, is vital because of the honor of marriage so much as it has to do with this This commandment is vital also because we are people who uh, are the dwelling places of God himself. So in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the living God? Um, and he says, Therefore, uh, honor God with your body or in your body. And so... So we find again that that this uh, in First Corinthians six that another additional reason um, that we are to live purely in terms of sexual uh, purity is that we've been bought with a price. Uh, so glorify God in your body. And so he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What do you make of that? How is this sin of sexual morality different from other sins in that, uh, well, it's, it's stated in that every other sin a person commits is outside the body. What's the significance of that? In my mind, it's the whole aspect of your uh, the fact that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and so, therefore, you're, you're connecting that temple uh, with an act of immorality in a way that uh, no other sin is is equal to. There's something about sexuality, and God has given it to us as a means to worship him. And there's something that, that happens in, 
in the sexual union that allows us to understand aspects about God and the nature of unity that we wouldn't under wouldn't be able to understand apart from having sexuality. And so to so violate the purposes for which sexuality was created uh, diminishes our ability to know and understand God rightly. You know, there's there's books, uh, you know, there's a book called Wired for Intimacy that talks about the 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 way that viewing things like pornography affects the brain. Mm-hmm. It, it changes the way that the brain processes information and views reality. And so it 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 really, um, for lack of a more theologically uh, precise term, it really messes up someone. You know, as we as we engage in in immorality in ways that we don't even acknowledge or understand, or certainly that our culture doesn't acknowledge or understand. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so we've been talking about um, sexual morality in terms of a physical relationship with another with another person in a in in a sexually immoral way. Uh, Dan, you've you've kind of opened the door to the idea of a mental kind of sexual immorality mm-hmm. that relates to pornography, which and, and Jesus did it before me, even right? Exactly. So is that where you're, yeah. exactly that's where we're headed? Uh, well, tell us what Jesus said. Well, Jesus and in, in Matthew. Uh, as, as he's as he's talking about the the different commandments and, and how we, we were to understand the heart attitude behind those commandments, he says in, in Matthew five, he says, "You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart." And then he gives us uh, these words about how to how to be obedient to this commandment. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Josh McDowell just uh, gave a a sermon at um, Moody's Founders Week. And he he, uh, was on this topic of pornography and its problem in our culture, but specifically in the church. And so these are some statistics that he uh, gave about the present, the present, uh, I'll say, prevalence of pornography among uh, among our culture and among even God's people in church. Seventy-two percent of adult men are facing some level of porn addiction or temptation. Fifty-two percent of adult women are facing some level of porn addiction. Um, 92% of our youth men and 75% of young women are facing some level of porn addiction. So it seems like, in other words, that the younger a person is, the more uh, they're likely to, to have uh, this as an as a issue in their life. Mm. Uh, Josh's research indicates that six to eight years of age, uh, p- kids six to eight years of age have now have free access to the Internet, and over 30% of six to eight-year-olds go to the internet to view pornography. Um, and it's estimated now that 35% of all internet downloads are dedicated to internet porn sites, which have now exceeded 1.72 billion in number. It's staggering, isn't it? Mm. Especially as you think of young kids. Um, and uh, that kind of opens us up to all, all kinds of uh, practical matters that you might want to talk about. What are, what are some things as you hear those statistics? And, of course, as pastors, I, I guess – I'm not surprised by them. I, I've had three different members of our church send me uh, independently mm. uh, a link to Josh's talk because they were just shocked by this. Uh, now, again, as pastors, we, we've we've recognized this as a result of discipling opportunities with with people. Um, uh, so these statistics likely aren't, aren't a surprise to you as they weren't to me, but they're still troubling. 
Not, right. Maybe not surprising, but they're still deeply troubling in reference to how this sin is shaping uh, a generation's view of God and their ability to worship Him. Yeah, I, I think you've I think you've said it well. It, it's uh, it's hard because your heart hurts for people who are um, in their sexuality pursuing something that you know won't bring them joy. And so, yeah. pastorally, you, you just your, your heart aches as you think about the, the prevalence of. Right. Uh, uh, and, and really, you know, you think about where our culture, you know, Rich, you, you made allusions to this, where, where our culture is on so many issue at, uh, issues related to morality and, and immorality. And um, it, it begins by by misunderstanding. We've, we've talked about the, how the Ten Commandments are all so interconnected to one another. It begins by not believing that um, God, is, God is God and I shouldn't have any other gods before him. And so... Right. Um, adultery and idolatry are are linked together so often in Scripture, right? Um, adultery is a picture of, right? Yeah, and vice versa. Idolatry is is a picture of, of adultery. Adultery is ultimately a picture of idolatry and, and idolatrous worship. And so, God, as He describes faithless Israel, describes them as as adulterers. Yeah, right. And so, so there's just a, a sorrow as you, you understand people aren't coming to God to worship him, they're trying to worship other things. Right. We're, we've been working through the uh, letter First Corinthians in uh, our church, and one of the things that Paul says that, hey, uh, you know what, it's great to be single and, and uh, fully uh, undistracted for the kingdom, but if you can't remain sexually pure, then you should get married. Yeah. And it reminds us of uh, that faithfulness to God that's reflected through our faithfulness, covenant faithfulness, and our being able to kind of possess or control our own vessel, being yeah. uh, uh, sexually um, pure and being able to uh, have self-control. And if we don't, it shows that we're not content with what yeah. God has given us in one, either in the area of singleness or in the covenant marriage of, of marriage. Yeah. As I think of some broad uh, general ways of applying uh, this command, I think first uh, words of counsel to young men and women who are single. Um, any, any, just again, maybe a brief counsel to them in regard to sexual purity that you would give to a young young men and women who are single and really living in a in a culture in which it's it's really weird and strange, and you're going to receive all kinds of ridicule if you're not involved. Yeah. Well, right off the bat, uh, guard how you spend time together. Uh, perhaps not spending time alone together, a young man and young woman who's not married, but uh, rather be with others so that you mm-hmm. guard yourself from temptation. And I would just, uh, along with that, I caution them, and I caution people who just find themselves immersed in the culture that, that we're in now. You know, you think about a culture that is now redefining marriage pretty radically, and, and the, the statement that's coming back on the church as well you guys, you know, the church is okay with divorce, and mm-hmm. and then you know, the Bible speaks against that. And so, why aren't and part of that criticism is 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 well taken because the church has been silent in some in some segments on the issue of divorce because it's not a pleasant thing to talk about. But I think about what uh, we read in Malachi, where uh, Malachi is is asking the people questions, and they're and they're just totally oblivious to how they're violating God's will for their lives. And they say, "Well, why doesn't He regard the offering from our hand?" It says, "Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, so she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did He not make them one 
with a portion of the Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Mm-hmm. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. And listen to what he says. And then you've wearied the Lord with your words. You say, well, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Yeah. And so this idea that that I think is in our culture as well, that you can you can divorce your wife, you can be immoral, you can commit adultery, and you can pursue immorality, and God will delight in you. Yeah. It's a very dangerous place for us to be. And Satan will use anything to help us justify our own sin. And uh, if he can get us to look, well, at least I'm not like that person. And the, the whole issue of the Ten Commandments is they start off with who God is, mm-hmm. that he is our reference point. Mm-hmm. And if we have any other reference point, our culture, other people, even other people in the church, church leaders even, uh, we're, we're, we're going to end up moving away from worship and moving away from knowing God and enjoying him. Um, just by way of encouragement, too, to those who are married and maybe dissatisfied, uh, feeling a bit lost with ever any hope of, uh, of marital joy, um, again, mm-hmm. I think the issue is, are we going to look to God for our joy? Or are we going to look to some other God to provide us with the kind of satisfaction we long for? And maybe just a, a final word as we look at this commandment before we look at the commandment, you shall not steal, uh, to parents, is just be very, very aware. Be very, very aware. I think one person said it best, it's not a matter of if our children will see pornography, it's a matter of when. Mm-hmm. And and uh, there, there's going to be a time when almost assuredly in our culture, where they will run across it, if even ever so briefly, through a friend, through some show, through something. And what are we doing to first protect and then also prepare, right, for our kids for that moment when, when Satan comes after them? Uh, but we have, to, we have to be on on the guard against this because it, it is so, so very uh, powerful and prevalent. Well, let, let's think about this Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. So we often think in terms of uh, stealing other stuff, um, and you know, going over to the neighbor while his garage door is open, and and uh, taking a uh, an axe or a hammer, or some other tool out of their garage. Let's uh, think big, a car. A car. Think bigger than yeah. this, right? Axe. What are you going to do with an axe? <laughs> what are some other ways we steal, though, that we're maybe not even thinking about? This is a, this is a violation of the eighth commandment. What are some other things we take from other people? that is rightfully theirs and is precious to them, treasured, um, that we, for our own benefit, take from them. Uh, we steal people's reputation whenever we backbite or slander or gossip. Um, that's something that uh, is fairly common, and we it's one of those respectable sins, I guess. You know, everyone does it. Yeah. Yeah, lack of faithfulness in your work. You know, you, your employer's paying you. Uh, for your time to engage in a task, and if you're not faithful in that, there's there's theft involved. Yeah, yeah. I believe I've heard this statistic that uh, perhaps uh, each employee loses a full day of work through internet uh, mm-hmm. usage Every during day. the work week. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I, you know, I, on that reputation, I'm glad you brought that up too, uh, as well as uh, the work issue, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I was thinking about their reputation, and, and the, tr- the truth is is that most of us would much rather have someone steal 
uh, something out of our garage than, than rob us of, of the esteem that others might hold us. And yet that's what, what gossip or slander does. And we don't think of, of those those sins as being, uh, you know, people who would never, ever, ever go over to their neighbor's house and steal something uh, out of their house. Uh, we we can become comfortable in stealing something even more precious or, or more, more treasured. Um, any other applications to this uh, matter of thou shalt not steal that you'd like to like to encourage uh, those who are listening toward? I always joke, but uh, I always say, I wonder why I don't have any pens here at work. I have so many at home, and uh, sometimes we take things home from the office that uh, belong there, and, and obviously uh, it's very common to do that, and yet it, 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 we have to be careful. And. and- I was going to say in terms of application, there's a hard attitude here. And the hard attitude is um, something that doesn't belong to me, I deserve. Yeah, And that, that can manifest itself in so many different areas yeah. of life, whether you're wealthy or poor or somewhere in between. There can be this attitude that I somehow deserve a physical thing that, that doesn't belong to me. Yeah. And as we connected these commandments to worship... How does that hard attitude connect to this idea of idolatry? What what is there happening in relationship to God that that's causing our heart to to desire uh, that which you just expressed? Right. He's not enough. I, I need some sort of I need something else in order to, to to be happy, and it's worth violating who He is to get this this other thing. I'm placing a greater value on Him than obedience to Him. Yeah, or I can pro- rob from Him. His provision isn't enough as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for joining us at Revive the Drive. Uh, we are going to complete this series in, on the Ten Commandments in our next session. Trust that God is encouraging you and that you're moving toward a full-hearted worship of Him.